recording okay. is in progress. Yeah, yeah. Well, progress. I didn't didn't get any preamble to use at the beginning of the show. So, what do you mean you didn't get any preamble? You That's figure your brutal. life out. We've been talking. Yeah. for 10 minutes. you've been talking for twenty. But uh, no, I have some preamble from a previous show that I've got as backup preamble now. In case. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I that like that. Great. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we don't panic. We give you the tools to repair your finances and unfold the roadmap to financial independence. Yeah, panic. we do. Panic. Yeah, panic, panic at least a little bit. Come on. Hey, well, it probably sounds different because we are all practicing social distancing. And we sure are. At our homes, but we're going to do so- social drinking. We are. Yeah, we're still drinking. It's just alone. Are we yeah. remote because of social distancing or because I'm not in the city? No, no, we're remote because of social distancing. Otherwise, the uh, accountant be over here. Okay, you've already had your uh, your scare. Hey, yeah, I got back from work. Basically, I was self quarantined for two weeks in in the West Coast, and I came back and I had a bit of a sniffle and a cold. And I'm like, well, I'm 99 percent sure it's a cold, but what do you do, right? Responsible thing is to stay home. Yeah. Well, there you go. So you're at home. We're all at yep. home, I suppose. We're all at home. So, well, cheers. And um, this week's beer has been brought to us by the winner of the Smith Maneuver book. So for listeners, a few episodes ago, we interviewed Robinson Smith about his new book. And of course, we did a book draw. So thank you to all the listeners who put comments on that show. And we had lots of interaction and uh, appreciate Robinson getting back on there and, and giving some feedback to the comments as well. So the winner was Monique out of Ontario. So congratulations, Monique. The book is in the mail and it was wiped down with isopropyl before I mailed it. So (laughs) (laughs) you should be okay, but I'm not. Well, Canada Post is slow enough that it's going to be safe by the time it gets to Ontario anyhow. This is true. Yeah. So, well, I think it'd be nice to get some feedback from Monique when she's done the book, whether she's going to employ the strategy or giving her any ideas. And of course, we are having our social drink and it's today I'm having the Bowen Island Artisan IPA. And this was, Monique said she doesn't drink beer, but her husband does. So it was a request. They had it when they're out here. So cheers. Cheers. Um, Cheers. What are you boys having? The same thing as you. That was the whole point. Okay. Well, I didn't know. I mean, I wasn't sure what the uh, economist was going to get. He's back in the uh, fair city of YVR. So, well, I didn't want to make you jealous with a different beer. <laughs> well, that's so, fair. So, have you stockpiled beer? No, no. I'm I'm not a crazy stockpiler. I'm not really that concerned. <laughs> so we we don't usually try and date our shows, but this is uh, March fifteenth, and there's been. Uh, some interesting world events in the last week. How are you guys on toilet paper? You guys okay? <laughs> I don't get that one. Does uh, do people think we're going to run out of water? Like, there's another option to yeah. toilet paper. That's very true. Well, I've got eleven thousand seven hundred eighty sheets because I did count. And <laughs> what's my safe withdrawal rate on that? What is the safe withdrawal rate on your sheets? That's an yeah. important question. I mean, also, like, are there bidet stocks I can invest in? Like, is that coming back? Well, you can order one from Amazon. Yours isn't on the way. It comes from uh, overseas. I've got a shower head. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. You're safe. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we can probably go down all sorts of interesting paths here about uh, the interesting times that we are living in at the moment. But uh, from a money point of view, how do you guys feel about your portfolios in the last week? Uh, I'm real happy with the opportunity to buy things at 
great prices. See, I'm struggling not to panic buy. <laughs> panic buy. Yeah. Yes, actually, I would agree with you. I am struggling to not take everything I have and put it into the market. And all the access to credit I have. Yes, that's exactly that's exactly it. Right? Well, this did come up a few times. I've seen people posting is uh, is now the time to start using some leverage. Should I should I use that leverage that I have now to invest? I, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is to that. We nobody knows what's going to happen here in the next few months, right? Right. I mean, it, yeah. To an extent, it's timing the market the other way, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's just it. And I mean, one thing that I saw that I think is important to remember is somebody was saying, you know, you don't know when the market's going to bottom out. So buy, feel like an idiot when it drops more, buy some more, feel like an idiot again. And just when you think that everything's going to hell, buy some more and you will have bought the whole way down and you'll be fine. Right. Just don't put everything you have in now. Yeah. I mean, I consistently buy every time I get paid. So I'm just sticking to that strategy. Me too. Me too. But uh, again, having a real hard time. I I know. (laughs) Not throwing some of the old line of credit in there. I'm not going to lie to you. I have thrown a little bit of the line of credit in there. And this is a good time to say that this is our opinion only. And (laughs) this show is for entertainment purposes. So is your plan to throw a little bit of line of credit in there, you know, on the off weeks where you don't get paid until it bottoms? Or what's your plan? I'm just kind of sprinkling in an extra. Yeah, I'm I'm making, I'm kind of doing a buy once a week now. Right. Now, one thing that, I brought up to you, accountant, is that you have the luxury of uh, some very, very low transaction costs. So you're putting in some pretty small amounts, which is really nice to be able to do, right? You can buy a few shares of a bank stock or an ETF. Yes. Well, ETFs are free for us anyway, but you know, you can buy a few shares of a dividend stock that's being beaten down. Whereas for, in my case, I'm paying that $10 TD trading fee if I want to buy any individual stock. So I have to think a little bit harder about it and, and make sure it's a worthwhile purchase. Yes, 100%. My trading costs being very low do give me the advantage that I can buy one share and pay one cent for that transaction. So I don't have those costs. But anybody out there who's listening and is ETF trading probably doesn't have those costs either. Not ETF trading, but investing in ETFs rather than dividend stocks. Yeah, I threw a little bit. uh, I had my monthly contribution that I didn't allocate earlier this month. I just kept it sort of sitting in cash for those extra few days. And I pulled the trigger and and put some in VEQT the other day. So I haven't, uh, well, I mean, okay, I'll admit that the accountant talked me into um, picking up some cruise ship stocks the other day. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) Are they low? That's definitely, uh, are they low? (laughs) Well, luckily, it's not the the ships that are sinking, but their stocks certainly are. Oh right. man, yeah, it's uh, it's a fire sale. I think we definitely recognize that that's a, a very speculative thing, and I definitely didn't put very much money into it at all. But uh, I I don't know. I don't think cruise ships are going anywhere, and in five ten years, I think that'll be a robust industry again. I actually looked at them a few years ago as a as a good dividend stock. Anyway, yeah, they. I mean, I'm betting that you're going to have to see a dividend cut in order for them to survive because their cash flow is going to get absolutely decimated. But who knows? I thought you were uh, heading towards the uh, socially responsible investing there, money mechanic. 
No, 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 okay. no. I said I was experimenting in a in a comparison situation. I, I think see. was how I put it with <laughs> the those two ETFs that I bought to uh, to match them up to the other ETFs to see how they do. Okay, uh, just the cruise ship is you know not not so environmentally friendly. Oh, in five years they'll all be hydrogen powered anyway. <laughs> there we go. The other uh, socially questionable stock you might want to look at is casinos. No, I can't get behind that. 4% occupancy in Las Vegas. Ooh, that's hurt. Yeah. Finally, no lines at the buffet. Buffets (laughs) are closed. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) They're not making any money. Uh, Nobody's making any money. No. Yeah, there's going to be some big, big impacts with... um, the hospitality business, you know, airlines, any kind of travel like that. I hear a lot of Airbnbs are, you know, well, a lot of there's been some fairly generous refund um, policies that have come out and and fair enough, there should be. Yeah. But there's going to be some significant impact, trickle down impacts that we're going to see over the, over the rest of the year, I think, for all these things. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, especially if, I mean, we haven't hit quarantines yet in North America, but if you hit that level, there's going to be a lot of people that are hurting. Doesn't this just sort of bring up, go, wow, I'm really glad I'm on the path to FI because even if that gets postponed due to all this, at least, you know, we've got a plan, we've got some savings built up. Many of us have an emergency fund, others have access. I mean, these are these are critical things to be able to have right now is have some access and have some security for the next couple of months, right? Well, and I've seen a bunch of stuff saying, you know, oh, well, will the next recession kill the fire movement? And if anything, I feel like it's going to cement more people trying to become financially independent because you don't have to worry nearly as much as people who are living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. I mean, if you're just an early adopter to the, or not early adopter, I should say, if you just started the FI movement last year and you're super early in your journey, well, hopefully at least you've built up that emergency fund and and things like this where you may be out of work or work may be slowed down or you may be requested to stay home for a while. It's like, oh, okay, no problem. I can still cover my mortgage. I can still cover the rent. Um, you know, bills are paid, a lot less stress. You're in a better spot than you would have been otherwise, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Can't argue. Yeah. And I mean, none of us know what's really going to come out from all of this, but uh, I mean, I personally think things are probably going to get worse before they get better. And again, I think not panicking is uh is really <laughs> key here yeah it sounds to me like most people that have a, an investing strategy are just going to stick to it and dollar cost average in like you mentioned and that that's the smartest play like i know it's you know like the uh, <laughs> like the economist says is like well i just want to put it all in you know and i've seen people say that it's like well i've got this emergency fund why don't i just put it all in it's like well that could be really risky if in three months a we weren't at the bottom and b you have a requirement for cash right yeah a hundred percent that's what i'm looking at is i kind of to reassure myself i did a little like burn calculation so if all of my tenants don't pay rent and things stay down and i lose all of my rental income you know how long am i okay for and it's reassuring to know that i can wait it out at least a year before i'd really be in any form of problem or having to sell any investments or anything yeah, and that's uh, that's your emergency plan coming into there, right? I mean, you don't have a fund per se because you brought that up before, but you've got a plan, so that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, 
And I think if people don't have a plan, nah, you know, this is probably <laughs> telling you, you probably should. Yeah, exactly. Now, how about ratcheting down a little harder on uh, spending? So you have a little extra money to, uh, to invest. Most of us aren't leaving the house as much right now, right? I mean, exactly. we had our bond spiel canceled this weekend, so that saved us a couple hundred bucks each at least. Couple hundred. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a little on the light side. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Going to miss out on the blender I was planning to win, though. Well, that's true. Yeah, you don't get that. Don't get that blender you would have won. But uh, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I think the lack of people not going out to social events, not going out to bars and restaurants. I mean, yeah, you should be. This is the perfect time to save even more money than ever before. I was actually just thinking about this the other day, and I'm like, maybe I don't need to insure my second vehicle right now. I mean, the weather's getting better. It's time to start getting outside, riding my bike, and if my if the uh, money mechanic's wife's working from home for extended periods, we can totally live with one car. This is a great chance to try it. Yeah. 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 I think that's a great option. I actually hadn't thought of that, but now that you bring it up, I mean, maybe I will uninsure one of my vehicles. Yeah. Mine's expiring next month anyway. So I don't like, you know, BC insurance is messed up. If you cancel it, you only get a prorated amount back, but if it ends, I can just leave it off the road for even three months. And that's going to save me 400 bucks that I can invest or have the cash or, or whatnot. Right. So yeah, it might be a good time to do that. And Hey, if it doesn't work after a month, you then you insure it again. Right. I saved a hundred bucks for not having it on the road for that month, but there's all these little things that I don't think we force ourselves to do. Um, that can make changes in our lives, whether it's financially or health-wise or things like that, right? So time to make a change. Yeah. And it's a good point. I mean, if you, you know, maybe you're cutting back more than you'd like to right now, but it's a great opportunity to be putting cash into the market at some pretty good yields. Yeah, all the way down, right? Yeah. Ride the panic wave. (laughs) Ride the panic wave all the way down. So you brought up that you would be okay for a year if uh, with all your tenanted places. So you've got that plan in place. What is it? What do you think it looks like for the real estate investors, the listeners that we have, the real estate investors that in this kind of chaos market that we don't know what's going to happen if people aren't able to pay their rents? How do you factor that into your decision, you know, or your longer term plan for real estate investing? Well, I think the fact of the matter is is there is some short-term risk for sure that people might not be able to pay rents. And there is some risk that maybe long-term the economy is hurting and rents come down. But I think that's why you really have to do your due diligence on a property first and make sure that you're buying a property where the numbers work, where you can afford for rents to go down a little bit and still cover your mortgage. Well, and I, I think too that when people get into real estate investments, they should be looking at things from a really long-term perspective. That's the only way to do real estate. It has to be long-term. You got to be looking 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Yeah. Because if we see a prolonged downturn um, you know, with the de- you know depressed prices and things like that, that's in, in 15 years, it's not going to matter. But for the next five years, it might. But that's why, well, yeah, I think that figuring that, those numbers out at the beginning are really, really important. Another concern that I have a little bit here is if things turn around and it's not as bad as it could be, and we've just seen two emergency rate drops or one emergency rate drop and another rate drop, 
and mortgages are even cheaper, we're just going to push the prices of housing up even more. And they've already been out of hand. Yeah, that's a right. pretty fair point too. Those mortgage drops have would spur a lot of people to, excuse me, get into the market now. And I happen to be, I mean, the timing couldn't be worse, but I'm happy. <laughs> I happen to be looking for a new house right now. And like, even in the last week, there has been chances where we were, somebody was over by $50,000 on asking with an unconditional offer on a property that we wanted to buy. And wow. I mean, like, it, that's insanity in the current environment of the world. But it appears that in BC, real estate is still alive and well, at least for now. So I just want to take a chance here to interject from some comments that we had on the show. Uh, for the listeners that caught the Randy Molland interview from the reinvestors, um, we had a comment from Sean asking a couple of the points I just wanted to address here. And uh, the accountant, you can give me some feedback on this too. His first one was that he mentioned that real estate investing can have 15 to 20% returns. And he was just curious how that's achieved. So I'll let you take that. Um, if if you want, otherwise I will. Yeah, I mean that's definitely possible. I've had properties where my cash on cash return, so the cash flow from my rent every month, is around five percent. And then by the time you factor in my mortgage paydown, I'm at about twelve. And then if you consider three to four percent growth, I mean, there you go. You can be at sixteen or seventeen percent return, pretty easy on that. Yeah, and I think it's important that you break it out like that because people. You know, if if we're just looking at an investment return, you know, it's not that's not your cash on cash return, right? And this is where it gets a little bit, you know, you have to understand how to analyze it, whether you're making money from your cash flow, whether you're making money from mortgage pay down, whether you're making money from appreciation or forced appreciation, right? It's but right. once you combine all those things in there together and and annualize it over a period of time, then you should see those returns. That's there, exactly it. And there's another way people have been achieving you know, those type of returns in BC. And that's just straight property appreciation that maybe we don't see in the future. Yeah, that's absolutely true too. Yeah, if you're in high cost of living, if you're in the Vancouver or other high value markets like that, we've seen ridiculous appreciation then. Yeah, totally. Right, so it could well, be a short-term short short hold with a high return just based on luck. Yes. And I, I think that if your whole investing strategy in real estate is just on appreciation, that's a bad strategy. That's a speculation strategy, not an investment strategy. Yeah, exactly. You're speculating, you're not investing. And that's the, I mean, what I love about real estate is that there's a bunch of areas to make money. You can make money from your monthly cash flow. You can make money from forced appreciation. You can make money from regular appreciation. You make money from your mortgage pay down. That's there's a lot to do. Where'd you lose money? Yeah, uh, you lose money if you don't buy right, and if you have vacancies, and if you didn't project capex correctly. Um, interest rates rising can have a negative effect. Prices can go down. Prices can go down. Well, and uh, and Sean brings that up in his comment here. He talks about uh, geographic risk, and and I totally agree with that. There's definitely areas that you can buy that are subject to the the risk, the economic risk of a specific region. I think so every place there are can these buy. so many things to consider. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to consider. Um, I wanted to bring up to another email that I got from a listener. They're in the Kootenays region in BC. Um, and he had owned a rental. He owns a rental property there, and he was asking about 
paying off the mortgage on his rental property with a HELOC from his house to increase cash flow on the property. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's another way where real estate's pretty versatile. I mean, I said, why not just put a HELOC on the rental property to pay off the cash flow rather than because he's got a fully paid off house, which I wouldn't really want to touch my fully paid off house unless, you know, when you can still carry the the HELOC on the other place. But the nice thing about real estate is you've got options like that. You know, you could pay down something aggressively and then you can switch the debt to give you better cash flow when you need it. Um, there's a lot of options like that. Yeah, but that to me, when I just from when you quickly said that, uh, you'd be paying a higher rate on the HELOC than he would be on the traditional mortgage on the on the rental property anyway, wouldn't he? So what's I don't see the advantage there. You're writing off both of them regardless. You're writing off both of them, but that's a there's a cash flow advantage, right? So you're going to pay less interest on your mortgage. You're going to pay higher interest on a HELOC, but the HELOC is going to have lower payment because it's going to be interest only. I see. So you're going to have better cash flow, and then you can take that cash flow and invest it. Yep, I see where you're going with that. In, instead of building up more debt equity in the rental property, so that was I actually thought it was a great plan for him to be able to increase the cash flow on the rental property, and then take that cash flow that the extra cash flow you've created and start investing it and ride the market on the way down, and ride the market on the way down. <laughs> Yeah, I have, and I haven't emailed back, but I I hope he has done that, and I hope that the cash flow increases and he rides the market the whole way down. Well, just to interject here, I respond to all my emails, so just so if you email the money mechanic, you'll get a response. Are you saying we well, don't? So do I. Yeah. <laughs> What's going you said on? you hadn't re- you said you hadn't responded yet. No, I I I have responded. I haven't heard back from him yet. Oh, I take that all back. <laughs> Well, that's actually that's not true. I've heard back from him, but I haven't followed up. Is what I mean. Uh, oh, one of those. Okay, well, we'll let that slide. The conversation right. is currently <laughs> ongoing. <laughs> yes, it is. It is ongoing. I will follow up and I will find out more. Hey, well, we got another comment on the show. Since this is just like kind of a random show that we're doing right now, anyway, we got a comment from our distracted by Fi episode, and uh, RJ wrote in and he echoed our exact sentiment, which is great to hear that we're not the only people that feel like our day jobs became, uh, you know, they didn't look good anymore and got distracted. So uh, I think it's a real thing. Turns out RJ could have been the guest on that show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah. We needed to find them earlier for sure. Was there another point from the other comment you wanted to make money mechanic? Yeah. The last thing that Sean had mentioned there, well, he just brought up that, uh, our guest, Randy, had mentioned a lot of people are sitting in RSPs earning 1%. And he felt that was a little suspicious, but I think we can probably, I, I mean, let's just be fair here. It's uh, generalization. We're not picking on our guest or on the comments at all, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that aren't optimized in their investments, right? And so that's where my thinking comes in is people that have, you know, straight bonds in an RSP, or maybe they got a really high fee mutual fund that uh, is underperforming the market. I mean, it's total generalization to say that they're earning 1%. I mean, maybe people are sitting on a GIC at 1% in their RSP. So it's, I, I don't want to say many people, but I think there is a percentage. There probably of are some for sure. Right. Maybe not in the fire yeah. community though. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. Probably and not. I, I liked, I appreciate Sean's comment because he said that we need to push back a little bit against some of our guests. And I think he's right. We are way too nice. <laughs> well, see the problem is none of us are angry drunks 
<laughs> Switching to whiskey. Yeah. I, I, I guess we got to do a few whiskey episodes, eh? <laughs> no, it, and I think, no, he brings up a good point because, I mean, we're definitely not uh, in any way, shape, or form professional interviewers. And it's, it's a lot harder than I expected, especially when the person's sitting in front of you. I mean, we're all pretty nice guys. So when you're sitting down with somebody, it's hard to be that, you know, like get to the facts, interview, dig into these stories, right? It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I'd like to, it's, yeah, develop, it's definitely develop a, that skill. It's definitely a skill set that takes learning. But one of the things I'm really concerned about right now is people who are in a bad position and panic sell. Right. Oh, did I? T- so I posted this. I tweeted this the other day. I walk into the bank because I've got a USD check that I've got to put in the bank physically. Otherwise, I'd never be in the bank. So I'm standing in line and I get to the front and like Canada Trust, it's or TD, I should call it not Canada Trust. Um, TD has very sort of, uh, it's not very private. <laughs> no, <laughs> Let's put no, it, it is not. It's not very private. And I'm not trying to overhear everybody's conversation, but I'm standing there and the guy next to me, and he's a young guy. He's in this kind of early 30s type thing. And he's asking them, he said, I tried calling Waterhouse. I can't get a hold of anybody. I want to get all my, I want to get all my mutual funds out. Ah! And this is, I know. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Please tell <laughs> me so, you lectured him in the middle of the bank. <laughs> uh, no, I intercepted him in the parking lot and I handed him my welcome to the FI movement card. And uh, no, no, of course not. But you know, right. And I, I kid you not right after him on the other side of me, the lady gets, she calls up to the teller and it was the exact same thing. She said, uh, is there somebody I can sit down and talk to about, uh, withdrawing my mutual funds, blah, blah. And this was just after we suffered the worst drops in that week of the second week of March here. And it, I think it's just, um, you know, I'm at the end of my tweet was that, you know, these emotions are the investor's worst enemy because you see your money going down. Your instinct is to get it all out, right? Oh, 100%. I was actually very proud today. I was over at my parents this morning and we were talking about this. And my dad said, Yeah, I haven't logged in since things started going badly. Good. And I was like, Well, you're finally listening. That's great. <laughs> don't, don't look. Just don't look. Yeah. I mean, if it's going to make you feel bad, if it's going to make you emotional, don't look. It is impressive how far they've dropped, though. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> hey, so I've told you guys before that I use Wealthica, right, to track yeah. net, net worth and investments. Yeah. The nice, the nice thing about using that is I've got it aggregated, so it's all all investments and property value and mortgage all into one, right? So when you look at that, you're like, oh shit, that went down a lot. But as a percentage of net worth, it doesn't look nearly as bad, right? And sometimes I feel like that is an unspoken advantage that real estate has is you can't panic sell it nearly as easily as you can panic sell everything else. That's interesting. Right. Because, okay, so I want to panic sell because I think everything's going to hell. Well, now I got to go find a real estate agent. I got to list my property. I got to do all this stuff. I got to find somewhere to live. I mean, sure, you can just sell a rental and not have to find somewhere to live, but it's still a lot of work to sell that property. And by the time you actually get to the point of selling it, things have probably leveled out a bit. Well, how about this? Times like these, having that financial advisor might be critical for some people, right? Because so many people have been convinced to move themselves into self-directed investing, which I, I still believe is the right way to go. But if this, this is your first time going through a market meltdown, and you've already panic sold because you just couldn't hang on. Having that investor that you pay 
this may be the time that they're actually worth it. Assuming they don't panic sell for you. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't think they usually sell without your permission. Well, I hope well, not. Well, what about these but, I mean what about these two at the bank? They're going to see their mutual fund advisor. Do you think they're going to give them the hard sell on not selling? No, because they can probably convince them to sell now and then buy again later and they'll double up on their commissions. Right. Scary. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think that's what I guess the point I'm making is there's a lot of value emotionally in a good financial advisor. And we don't usually talk about that in the FI community because we're all, you know, and I don't want to say we're anti-advisor because I do think they have their place. And I what think, I'm saying, yeah. maybe this is the time they have their place. You have a really good advisor that has said, no, you stay the course, you stay invested. It's okay. We'll dollar cost average in while it's going down. And, uh, and you'll, you'll thank me in 15 years. Yeah, I think that's a place where an an advisor can be a huge win for somebody who is on the fence. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of this, the whole FI journey that we're taking together is you have to now accept that responsibility yourself to be your own financial advisor and talk yourself off the edge of the cliff. And this don't is buy, where don't buy, people- don't buy, don't buy, don't <laughs> buy. <laughs> Uh, And I I think this is where, though, an investing plan and having an investing plan that you can go back to and look at and be like, I said that at times like this, I would follow this plan. And it tells me to not sell, so I'm not going to sell. Or in the economist's case, it tells me to not buy. Not not panic buy. I'm still buying. Right, not panic. Right, not panic buy. Yeah. I mean, when BMO's yielding 8%, it's pretty hard to not buy. I know, but maybe I'll go to 10. <laughs> oh, then, yeah, it's it's rough out there. So you're basically going to start a support group for people that are trying to panic buy all these stocks? I think we should. <laughs> I mean, I've sent you guys quite a few text messages being like, please tell me not to put my entire margin account into the market right now. Yeah, and I said... Uh, I'm not doing it. I'm I'm staying the course. I'm staying with my plan. I'm mm-hmm. not I wasn't prepared to use leverage before. Well, I was, but <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> but you, you know, I'm but I'm not going to. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why is I mean, I did move some assets around as I was telling everybody I got into I do have a second mortgage lending deal now. And I don't have any concerns yet, but you look at it from and and from a risk perspective, this is a, an event that nobody could have predicted, right? So I don't know how this could impact my the uh, the borrower, their ability to pay back, right? So I don't want to get myself into more leverage. I mean, it's, it's you might unrelated. You might a house pretty soon. I might have to carry the cost of a house, right? So yeah. having my leverage available for that is going to be important. For sure. Yeah, well, and that... Uh, I mean, if I use all of, because obviously we've talked about how I use my line of credit as my emergency plan. Yeah. So if I use all of that, I'm essentially destroying my emergency plan. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Yeah. Which isn't a great idea. So maybe that's the comment, right? Is, hey, there's a buying opportunity, but don't destroy your emergency plan or fund because of it. It's still there for a reason. Right. And I think part of it, you know, you can't take excessive risk right now just because you're seeing opportunity. Well, and this comes up so many times, right? Is how come 
people's risk appetite changes when all of a sudden they think there's way better opportunity. Or the flip side of that, that when things are going really well right before a crash, people decide to take on more risk because they think nothing can go wrong. Yeah. All right. Well, it's going to be an interesting week ahead. And uh, I guess if you've listened to this, you're a week ahead of us already. So uh, I think it's going to be an interesting few months ahead. Yeah, I, th- I think we're, uh, we're going to see some interesting times. And I think the main thing to remember is to stay the course. Yep, you've got a plan for a reason, right? And uh, yeah, make sure you've got emergency funds or plans. And uh, yeah, buy, buy down. Average, average yourself down. And that's going to be the smart way to play this. And don't panic sell and don't panic buy. I just got a sheet of white paper that says panic. That's pro- probably need to change that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I might adjust it a little bit. Well, I guess we're going to have to get used to this uh, social distance drinking, but it's way more fun when you guys Probably. are actually in the garage. It's pretty lonely down here right now. It's just me and the dogs. Yeah, it seems it feels a little weird just sitting in my office drinking a beer <laughs> by myself. Yeah, well, get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was Bowen Island IPA. And you know what? We didn't mention what a good value this beer is. It is a frugal beer, isn't it? It is. It's like under 10 bucks a six pack and it's five and a half percent. And you know what? Uh, it's, it's not terrible. It's not my favorite IPA, but if you're, uh, if you're budget minded and we didn't even read the blurb, we're totally like, this is, we're totally right, yeah. off because we're not sitting here Bye together. Now. So I'm reading the blurb to end the show. All right, here we go. Okay. Bo- okay. The shipyard is alive with the sounds of artisans <laughs> at their task before the panic. The boat's wood, floral, and citrus fragrances <laughs> swirl through a solid framework, plain, smooth, and perfectly balanced. A rich golden color sets off the final details. Artisans build it the best. Anyway, uh, yeah, so thanks, Bowen, uh, for a tasty Sunday afternoon treat. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Good night. All right, good enough.